Guys, it is good to be here. Wow, you guys look great. I can see your smiles through your masks. You guys are having a good time. Uh, my name is Tony. I'm on staff here with the Salt Company. I graduated from the U last year. I love this school. Uh, except for actually on Tuesday, I was walking around. This campus is actually incredibly shady in the winter. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but like, it's like a winter tundra everywhere you walk. Anyways, not my problem. So, guys, tonight we are going to be continuing our series in Ephesians 4 to 5. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to have you kind of leaf towards that area of your Bible. It's near the end. If you've got an app, pull it out. Um, it's a letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. But before we do that, Big Macs. Okay, so I was thinking about this text. I don't know if you guys have had a Big Mac recently. But I was thinking about this text and I was like, man, I remember when I was like eight years old, okay? Also, yeah, am I allowed? Okay, I, th I think we're fine. I remember when I was eight years old and I thought the Big Mac was like the greatest culinary creation in all of the land. Like I remember watching this commercial where this person was eating a Big Mac and the meat was like glistening and it looked like as they ate it, the life problems disappeared. Like I was like, this is the most amazing creation of all time. And then I got one recently, and that was an experience. Let me tell you, first of all, the boxes got way smaller. Like I don't know if you guys have been tracking, but I got the box, and I was like, why? It's big. Like it's supposed to be big. It was really small. Uh, I opened it up. The meat looked like cold. Like I feel like you're only supposed to be able to tell temperature with your hands, but I looked at the meat, and I was like, that's cold meat. I just knew immediately. The, the, the cheese was a little bit off-center. The buns were a little bit in disarray. Okay. That's really, like, bright when there's a lot of light. Anyways, so the Big Mac, uh, not a great experience. And here's the deal. Is the Big Mac, getting the Big Mac, this is a little bit of a stretch, but stay with me. Getting the Big Mac felt like the disappointment of 2020. Okay, so here's what I mean by that. 2020 has been an incredible disappointment. No one in the entire world has looked at 2020 and been like, that's been a good year. Like, that has been a great year. So here's what I mean. Maybe for you, you're here and you're like, okay, 2020 was going to be a big New Year's resolution year, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to get a six-pack. It's going to be great. Maybe you wanted to be known as a guy who, like, posted Instagram videos. I don't know. Never heard of anyone who does that. Never did that myself. Uh, maybe for you, it wasn't a six-pack. Maybe for you, you're like, you know what? This is going to be your, the, the year that I crushed the Bible. 365 days, easy. Three days in, pretty tough. Uh, maybe for you, it, it wasn't those things. And I'll get a little bit serious. I've been talking about Big Macs for a long time. Maybe for you, it wasn't the idea of the expectation of goals or ambitions. But for you, 2020 was going to be the year that you finally saw victory over things like depression, anxiety, and father wounds. And maybe for you, this year was supposed to be a turning point in your life. And I think as we look out into 2020, something happened in a lot of us, right? Because 2020 was the year that many of us became quote-unquote woke, the cultural currency of our time, where we looked out into the culture and we began to learn things about the injustices all around the world. And so maybe for some of you guys, this was the first time you learned that the minerals in your iPhone are harvested by poor kids all around the world through the power of gangs that use rape and murder as leverage. You're woke now. And maybe for you it wasn't that, but you learned about the prison camps in North Korea, the political prison camps in North Korea, that maybe the greatest humanitarian crisis in the 21st century 
that no humanitarian has ever been able to go to because it's a closed country. So we're woke. Or maybe for you, 2020 was the first time, the first year you've ever understood that the color of your skin can determine the lifestyle that you live or maybe the life you don't get to live. And so you're woke. And so we live in a culture that values being woke, but they don't actually give us any solutions to the problem. And as we look at the humanity around us, at the world around us, and the humanity within us, we start to realize that there's something lacking there. There's something we desperately desire. We desire something more than the humanity we see. And that humanity is the new humanity. And as we turn to Ephesians 4, that's the idea we're going to go into tonight. Is that actually, in Christ, this room, and many other rooms across the nation and across our world, there is this new humanity that comes together. A humanity not motivated by power or money, but motivated by love. That would transform the conditions of poor people and hurting people all around the world because they would use power not as an oppression, but as a tool to leverage for the sake of the hurting. The humanity that would be so content in their creation identity that they too would go out and be compelled to love the creation. Is that not the humanity that we desire? So here's the big idea for tonight as we turn to Ephesians chapter 4, is you are the new humanity. Point one, you have a new life. Turn with me to verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, verse 24, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, guys, I want to give you a quick context on verses 17 to 19. So in this passage, Paul is pushing back on the lifestyle of the Gentiles. Now, I don't know about you guys. Some of you guys are like really good theologians. I didn't know what a Gentile was for like the longest time. Like I read the New Testament for the first time when I was a junior in college. And I no lie, I'm not even kidding. I thought Paul was mad at gentle people. Like genuinely speaking, I was like, man, this guy's really godly. Why is he always telling gentle people they suck at following Jesus? That's tough. I was like, I know a lot of gentle people. They love Jesus. Gentile, turns out it's Gentile. Okay, uh, here's the deal. Some of you guys are doing Bible studies at freshman year. I'm so proud of you guys. Anyways, uh, a Gentile is simply this. It's a non-Jewish person. In other words, a Gentile is an ethnic description of someone's culture and nationality. And so if you're, not, if you're here and you're not of Jewish descent, you too are a Gentile. I am a Gentile. But historically, as we read scripture, right, Paul will say stuff like, don't live like the Gentiles. Don't live in the futility of their minds. Don't live in their sin. Don't live in the way that they live. But we read scripture and we're like, normally we read it from the perspective of the Jews, right? So I'm like, oh, God's chosen people. Moses splits the sea. We're like, that's my team. Like, that's my team. And we often do that, right? But in this circumstance, Paul is actually not talking to Jews. He's talking to Gentiles in the church. So we see this in Ephesians 2. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, Ephesians 3, 1, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So, company, we got to get this. Paul is talking to you. And here's what he's saying to you. As he says that do not live in the ways of the Gentiles in verse 19 by the futility of their minds. He's saying don't live like you live. Here's what that means. If you are a college student, don't live like a college student. If you are an American, don't live like an American. 
Do not live like the wider culture around you. Because here's, I'm going to go on a little riff about culture because I'm mad. I'm mad about it. And here's the reality. Because the, the vision that culture gives you for a life is to be better. Be a better Gentile. And it's this. It's be yourself but don't be. It's have as much sex and watch as much porn as you want. But love and care for women. It's live the wanderlust dream. Move out to Denver. Get yourself a nice van. Make it really, look really nice. Oh, by the way, but still make six figures a year. It's be yourself and succumb to all your desires. But, oh, here's eight steps on how you cannot be yourself. Disciplined enough to actually create a better future for your family. Because the reality is the vision that culture gives you is contradictory. Because it's based on desire. So here's the difference between the way of culture and the way of Christ. It's not about self-improvement. It's about self-transcendence. It's not a be better gospel. It's you are a new humanity. So in verses 22 to 24, if you guys want to look there, we're going to look into this idea to put off and to put on. So we put off our old life. As a Gentile, as a college student, as an American, as a whatever, you put off your old life, your old self, because in verse 23, we see that we were corrupted and deceived through desire. And guys, we know this, right? Like desire is not always the thing we follow. So I was thinking about this, and I was like, man, I desire, no lie, this would be me every night if I could. I desire to eat a whole cheesecake from Cafe Latte every single night. So good. You guys, some of you guys are like, oh, are you serious? You have not had. It is that good. Okay, so here's the deal. You eat a cheesecake, you get a cheesecake from Cafe Latte, you open it up. There's like gelled strawberries on each slice. I mean, and the, the crust. I mean, you look at the crust and you're like, this is amazing. It is so good. Two problems. Two problems for me following my desires in that way, right? One is uh, I'd have a dad bod before I'd have any kids. Not good. Two uh, is I would be broke. Those suckers be $28 a pop. Are you serious? So we go, yeah, exactly. That's college loans right there. That's, that's I've got loans and I cannot afford. Okay. Uh, that sucks. So it's so good, but it's so bad. And in verse 22, we'll bring it back, uh, we learn that desire is deceptive. Okay. So maybe for you, your desires aren't cheesecake. You're not sitting here like, Tony, I really need a slice of cheesecake right now. But it is the college lifestyle, the lifestyle of the Gentiles. And listen, guys, I'm not someone who, like, didn't go to college, okay? I remember being a freshman in college and my roommate being so hammered that he passed out on the bathroom floor with puke all over him. So I helped him take off his $400 parka or whatever it was and get into bed. Because here's what I know to be true, is that many students, many Gentiles on this campus and maybe even in this room make it a practice of getting hammered every single weekend. There's some of you in this room that come to Salt Company on a Thursday and then use your, at, your fake at Sally's on a Friday. Why? Because you desire to fit in, to feel approved of, to be known, but when you do, you are left emptier in the morning than at the night that you left. Why? Because desires are deceptive. Sex. We're going to talk about this in chapter 5. And it's going to get a little bit real. And we're all going to leave here a little bit convicted. And we, as in you and me, okay? So, chapter 5. But here's the deal. Is when we desire to have sex outside of God's given parameters, this is what it does. Is it leaves us empty and feeling objectified. 
it leaves you feeling sad because it's pleasure for a moment but regret for a lifetime. That's the same with porn. Or maybe for you, you're like a really good Christian kid and you're like, yeah, Tone, I don't, I don't drink, I don't get hammered. I might have one here and there, but I don't get drunk. Or I don't have sex out of marriage. I, I've been told that ever since I was a four-year-old kid. But here's what you do, is you're a grinder. You've been told as you've grown up that you've got to make something of yourself and accomplish all these things. So you're having these side hustles. You're working these jobs. You're taking 21 credits a semester. And you're looking at all the other sinners. And you're like, oh, you guys suck. That was my story. Because for me, it was easier to work another shift and actually deal with the brokenness of my past. Something's running you and it's desire. See, guys, as we look into the text, we'll see that the Bible isn't irrelevant. It's actually incredibly insightful into the human condition. Because here's what's true is your old life, your old self, your old humanity is filled with desire. Not only is it deceptive, but it's destructive. It will break you. It will destroy everything you've ever wanted to build for your life and the present and your future and whatever family you want to create. And it will haunt you for the rest of your life because here's what's true. is the deceptive and destructive are the desires of the human condition. That is who we are. And guys, I'm preaching to me. So buckle in. I'm about to read my own mail and you're going to get really uncomfortable. Be ready. I desire approval. Like I'm literally telling you from God's word, you are new. You don't need to do that anymore. And... At the exact same time, I'm hoping you guys are like, oh, he all right, you know. Like, he's half decent. Like, like that's my hope. I'm hoping Drake doesn't fire me for preaching an F-minus sermon. Like, genuinely, that's my hope. In this moment, that's my desire. I desire sex. There's some voices. That, yeah. Anyways, I desire sex. Right, guys, I'm engaged to the most beautiful and godly woman that I know. And we are going to wait till marriage, and we have waited till marriage, but desire sex. I desire to feel like I'm enough on my own. I desire independence. I hate being honest with people around me about my own sin, even though, quote, unquote, that's what good Christians do, because I'm afraid that if you see my cracks, it's all coming to me. If you would know that I am just as broken of a sinner, if not more, than everyone in this room then you wouldn't respect me or love me. So what do we do? Because these desires aren't just additives to our lives, they're central. They're not paper cuts, they're the cancer. So how do we fix the problem of the human condition? And this is a quote that I want to pull up on the screen that kind of hit different. (laughs) The things we want most in life are often the things that hurt us most in life. The things we want most in life are often the things that hurt us most in life. Okay, that's why we, talking you and me, are in desperate need of a new humanity. Where you become a brand new human. Not a slightly better version of yourself. Culture salvation scheme is, hey, just be a little bit better. Wake up a little bit earlier. Do a little bit more with your life. See one more beautiful, grammable vista. But it doesn't actually solve the cancer of your soul. So we can't just be a little bit better. We need to be brand new. Where you'll finally be whole. 
not fragmented by the wounding of your past, not needy and thirsty for the wrong things, but where you desire not the brokenness of this world, but the best things, the God things, the things that will put you back together. Let's look at verse 23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on your new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We put off that old self. We put on our new self. Guys, I like almost never do this, but I nerded out hard about Greek this week. Wow. And you know, I feel like I've listened to sermons where people talk like half in Hebrew and I'm just like, what? Wait, how do you have so much time? Like, I, like I'm just like, do you? Okay, anyways. Greek. <clears throat> Here's the deal. Uh, in verses 22 and 24, when it says self, that word self's root is anthropolos. In other words, it means anthropology, or anthropology is the study of humanity. That's a little bit confusing. Here's what that means. Self, you could replace that with humanity. So the, the vision that Paul is giving us for our lives is not just a new self. It's not just a little bit of a better Tony, but it's that we would be transcendent and we'd become a new humanity, not plagued by the desires of your past, but actually living out the love that Christ has given in us and through the cross. So, practically, this is what you mean. Okay, now in your new humanity, even when you feel the old desires, the cheesecake-style desires, you're no longer enslaved to those desires. This is what Paul is telling you, is you actually get to take off the old humanity, kind of kick it away, you know, throw it away, and put on a brand new humanity where you are no longer defined by your desires, but you are defined by the righteous calling that God has given you. And this is the calling that he gives you. He says you were created to be like God, in the likeness of God, in righteousness and holiness, not by the cancer of your desires. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this reality. Uh, we often, I do this all the time, we often live in fear of who we were, which stops us from living in the freedom of who we are. And I, I have a story for this. Uh, when I was two years old, we flew over from South Korea to America, which I didn't have much of a say in, but we're here. Um, Here's the deal. I, this might be a lie. My mom might listen to this and be like, I never said that. Uh, she told me. Okay, I was like, Mom, how'd you pick my name Tony? Because my Korean name is not Tony. It's uh, Chi Myung. And she told me that at the airport, she found a baby boy name book, which I'm just like, that sounds like a lie. I'm just going to be honest. That sounds like a lie. She said she flipped open to a page and she picked Tony, which is why if you ask me, is my name short for Antonio? I'm like, no, I kind of have to tell you my whole story. It's a little bit awkward. So, yeah. Anyways, my name is Tony. So, here's the deal. But somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, my name, Chi Myung, somehow got separated. So, my legal documents used to say G-I, J-I, space Myung. And so, G was pronounced like G, G for good. And... I never got called that, so I hated first day of school, and here's why. It's because every time you go to the first day of school, right, like you go through all the different periods, and they always do roll call, and they would be like, is G here? G? G? And in my mind, in my mind I'm like, who's this idiot? Just, just say you're here. Like, if you're not here, gosh, idiot. And they would be like, G? They would like start stretching it out like that's going to change anything. Gee, and then they'd be like, all right, this is our last time. Like, we really got to move on. And then immediately I would snap out. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's spelled T-O-N-Y. I know, it's spelled weird. You got to kind of put together the different letters. I know, it's, it's awkward. Okay. 
So I hated, I hated first day of school, man. I, I was so annoyed by that. I would, I would fall for it every single year. It only happens once a year, okay? I fell for it every single year, and I hated it. But when I was 14 years old, we got a name change, where my legal name went from J.I., weird, to Tony Chimyong Lee. So you would think, you would think I'll show up to school when I'm 15, and I'd be like, wow, I'm so excited to be called my name. But even, I remember that day, and I remember still being so anxious. Because even though I had a new name, I was still living in fear of my old name. And don't we do that as Christians? Like you're new. Which means the mistake you made a year ago doesn't define you anymore. Which means the mistake you made a month ago doesn't define you anymore. Which means the porn you looked at last night doesn't define you anymore. So we live free. And even if that means tonight, it's just a refresher on your identity. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm leaving this place because I'm made righteous and holy in God. Created in likeness of him. To be like God. That's your calling. Which means we live free. And so here's what we do. Is if you know who you are, you'll know how to live. So I'm about to riff, okay, on these next seven verses. If you look at verses 25 to 32, Paul lays out what it looks like to live out the freedom of a Christian. To live out your new identity. So I'm going to go fast, okay? Words. Verse 25, you'll speak truth to your neighbor. Because you don't have to lie or put on a face anymore. If you were in Christ, you're good. You'd be like, yeah, the, that desire that I had last night, pfft, not me anymore. I'm brand new. Good. Easy. Verse 29, you'll speak in a way that builds people up, not tears them down. You don't need to slander people anymore. You're good. You're made in Christ. Who needs? Verse 26, you'll be angry, but you won't sin. You know that you are sealed by the Spirit of God. You don't need to hold anything against anyone. You, you get sinned against, you're like, oh, I'm new. I'm good. Verse 28, you don't steal or cheat, but you work, doing honest work so that you could leverage your gifting and your resources for those who are in need. This is new humanity living. This is, I used to steal, but now I'm a philanthropist? Like, are you serious? This is the gospel. Transformation. Verse 30, you will not grieve the spirit of God. More than anything else, your goal is now to live a life that honors Jesus. That's your new goal. Not your old desires. Psh, don't need them. Verse 31, like you've put off your old self, you put off anger, bitterness, wrath, clamor, slander, malice. These are old self-postures of the heart. You do not need them anymore. And lastly, verse 32, you'll be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving people because God and Christ forgave you. As we look at these regulations or descriptors of the Christian life, they're true, but they don't often feel real. Right? Like I'll tell you to my, to I'm blue in the face or whatever. <laughs> I don't think I can do that. People say that a lot. I don't know. I can tell you all night long that sex was designed in the confines of marriage for the glory of God and for the flourishing of your marriage. But you don't actually believe that. Because until you live out the sexual ethic in scripture that God has laid out for you, you don't realize that it's real. That God is not a lame God. That he's not out here trying to be like, oh, sorry, you love getting drunk? Mm, take that away from you. You love good things? Oh, I'm going to take that away from you. God's not lame. He's loving. Which means he's going to say stuff like in chapter 5, which is about to be a little bit con conflicting for you guys. It's, he's going to say stuff like don't have sex outside of marriage. And it's true, but it hasn't become real. 
And so part of these rules or regulations that Paul describes as we live out the freedom of what God says is we, we do them and then we believe them. You live a life without lies. You start to realize that your relationships are way better. You don't steal, but you give. You start to realize blessed is the one who gives. You live different because you know who you are. So this is Paul giving us meat behind our morality as Christians. This is why we don't swing a morality stick as Christians. We don't tell other people what to do. We're not like, hey, you have to do this because here's what's true. is to actually do the law of God. You have to know God because he's the one who's behind you as a spirit. He's pushing you forward. He's showing you that it's actually better to live as he calls you to live. He's making truth real. Now, we know who we are, a new humanity, but Paul also gives us a new way to love. Let's turn to Ephesians 5, uh, verses 1 through 2. Point 2, you have a new way. Verses 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Okay, so let's start in verse 1. So here's the call of a Christian. Which we like read verses like this in the Bible and be like, oh yeah, we're like supposed to imitate God. God. Like the actual creator of the universe who is all things, who was all things, and will be all things for all eternity forward. You're supposed to imitate that guy. That's your call. So I was thinking about this and I was like, you guys ever watch those videos where it's like, I lived like bleep for 24 hours? I watched one on Mark Wahlberg the other day. Boy wakes up at 2.30 a.m. What? That is in the middle of the night. I was like, Mark, are you okay? Are you a vampire? Do you need help? Like, he wakes up at 2.30 a.m. and he works out for like four hours. I'm just like, Mark, six-pack, not worth it. I'm just going to be honest. It's not worth it. That's what Paul is calling us to do, is live like God for 24 hours. Live like God for your entire life. And here's what I love about Paul, is he gives us this impossible call, right? He's like, imitate God. This impossibly difficult call with this incredibly easy identity. Imitate God as beloved children. You want to imitate God? You want to live in the righteousness and holiness that he's called you to? Be a kid. Be a beloved, which means dearly loved child. That's your identity. Loved. And we're bad at it. But we're beloved, so here's what we get to do. is when we imitate God, knowing who we are, beloved as kids, we get to love other people as Christ loved us. And so as we see here, we're going to look in the rest of the verses in chapter 5, and it's going to be a little bit of a grind. Because here's the truth, and, and, and I want to kind of land here a little bit and, and do a little bit of work here. Is we, we hear stuff like that, right? Like, you are beloved, you are a child of God. You are loved more than you could ever imagine. Heights, nor depth, nor anything else. And you don't actually believe that. Because if we did, we would never sin. If we knew how loved we were, we would never stray away from him. And here's my kind of hot take for tonight. Is I think partly that's because many of us in, a, in this room don't actually believe we're lovable. It's not that we question the love of God, but we question our ability to be loved by God. Because we're fractured. 
And so here's what's true about my life, cell company, is dating is super fun. Engagement is super fun. But here's what's not fun, is realizing that I have deep wounds that have not yet been healed. And so there's nothing wrong with Josie and how she loves me. She loves me like Jesus loves me. She loves me unconditionally. It's not perfect. It's not exactly like Jesus loves me, but she does a dang good job of it. But the issue is I struggle to receive that love. And I think many of us in this room struggle to receive that love. Because about 40% of this room has dealt with father pain or father wounds which is like half, which means about half of this room grew up without knowing that they had a father who loved them and nourished and cared for them, but rather many of this room had fathers who left them. You grew up in an unsafe home. I grew up in a home where I didn't feel safe. So I struggled to be loved. I'll just admit it, and so do you. But imagine, I want us to just imagine for a second that the love that we've experienced hasn't been fractured. That the love that we've experienced hasn't been fractured by humanity's inability to love well. That we were perfect beings in perfect alignment with God back in Eden. When no one ever hurt you. Where your boyfriend never left you or your girlfriend never cheated on you. Or you could just be loved by God. Can you just imagine the love and the weightiness of his glory? Can you just imagine that you would never have to question it? You would never have a moment where you fear, does God love me? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And so I want us to imagine that, that he would love you. Not for anything you can do or how well you read your Bible or how well you evade sin, but simply because you are his beloved child. And he's in heaven right now clapping, saying thanks for showing up to one more day of following me. Paul brings us into this next section of application of this type of love. And not only does he show us that we are loved, but he gives us a new way to live. So this next section is both how to live in love, the identity that God has given you, that you are a beloved child, and how to live in love in the way that how you love others. So we're going to look. We're going to look to uh, verse 3. So I think I've got them on the screens. Corn, I might have that. But we're going to run through the rest of this chapter or the rest of this section from 3 to 21. And I'm going to kind of list off a title and then we're going to read the verses. So if you know you were loved, this is how you would love. You wouldn't let love turn into lust, verses 3 to 5. 3 and 5. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as proper among saints. Verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. You are way too loved by God to let him watch you for him to watch you die to sexual sin. You are way too loved by God. Because here's the reality, is if you've ever experienced sexual sin before, you know, as a Christian, it kills you. It eats up your soul. And not only does it kill your soul, but it kills the person you're with. We don't have to live like that anymore. We're love kids. We're love kids of God. 
You don't have to look for love in the wrong places. You can find it in Jesus. You'll watch what you say, verse 4 and 6. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor cool joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Dudes, let me just call you out. Don't let your speak be filthy. When you talk about a daughter of God as if she's an object for your sexual gratification, Jesus doesn't think that's funny. He doesn't laugh. Don't lie to people. Don't tell people what they want to hear with empty words. Speak truth and speak it in love because you are loved. Live a life pleasing to the Lord, 10, 12, and 15, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, 12, for it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret, verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. Okay, your goal as a Christian is not sin avoidance, okay, your goal is not to be like, that's sin, I'm going to just sidestep, that is not your goal. Your goal is not to figure out how much sin you can do before God gets mad at you, how far you can go before Jesus is like, mm. Your goal is to live a life pleasing to God. That's your new aim. Your new aim is like, Dad, I read my Bible today and it was awesome. And I got to love someone and it was great. And he's just like, yeah, like you freaking go. I love you. And it's like that's your relationship with Jesus now. Is when you know you're loved, you imitate him and it's like not that impressive. At least I'm not that impressive. But he loves it because that becomes your new aim. This last one might hit. We'll see. Uh, Don't get drunk with alcohol. Worship God. You're like, how does that work? Okay. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Hey, do you want to go to Sally's? I'm actually, I'm I'm worshiping in my dorm right now with me and me. Because no one else wants to join me, but I'm doing it. aren't Aren't you lonely? No, actually, like I'm really filled up by the love of God. It's crazy. I know. It's weird. I know. Do you want to go to that party? No, I'm actually going to Salt Company on Thursday. It's not Thirsty Thursday. It's actually like I get filled up by living water. It's actually great. You should join me. Like you, you live different. Right? What if you didn't have to drink to forget your problems? What if the king of the universe was filling enough for you that you didn't have to fill yourself with wine? Live different. So what Paul is saying here, and I'm closing on this because my timer's counting down. Okay, what Paul is saying here, don't live like a Gentile. You aren't one. Don't live like a college student. You aren't one. Don't live like the culture around you. You aren't one. This is the hope that we have. Is you are a beloved child of God called to imitate him, created by righteousness and holiness. This is who you are. You put on that sucker every single day. You leave your dorm and you're like, all right, I'm new. You leave your apartment, I'm like, I'm new. Yeah, last night was tough. I'm new. And when the world gets hard and when culture tries to tell you, bro, you're stupid. No, you say I'm new. You live different because you're made different. You're made into a new humanity. That's our call. And guys, I'll close here. A lot of you guys have asked what my tattoo means. It's a bamboo forest. And the first time my parents could, could afford to send us back to Korea, uh, I went to my grandfather's house when I was eight years old. And guys, 
No lie, he had a paper house, which I was like, is this out of Kung Fu Panda? Like, this is amazing. I was like, wow. The pam- it's like the, the doors were like paper and they would move. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And then I remember this moment, and this was my favorite moment of the entire trip, is he took us to a bamboo forest. And apparently a lot of people lied to me when I was young because he told me there are pandas that live there, but I'm pretty sure they're super endangered, like there's not pandas. Anyways, but he took us to this bamboo forest and he sat me down and he brought like this little saw thing and he like sawed me off like pieces of bamboo. And it was like the greatest thing. And I, I hadn't seen him my whole life. It was the first time I'd ever met him. And uh, he was my hero. He was the paper house owning, bamboo forest cutting, ice cream buying hero. And a few years after he passed away, my mom told me his story. My grandfather never knew Jesus. He had had a really hard life, a really broken life, a life filled with pain and despair and hopelessness. He was an alcoholic who abused alcohol and people. He was an adulterer. He committed sexual immorality outside of my grandmother's marriage. He let the sun go down on his anger. And my dad has PTSD because of that. I got this tattoo to remind me of this. That there's one fundamental reality I believe in in this world. That every single person in this room, on this campus, in this city, and in this world will live and die a life without hope, without the gospel of Jesus Christ. My grandfather never knew that Jesus loved him. He never knew that he didn't have to be a slave to his own desire. He never knew that he didn't have to live in the brokenness and the wounding of his past and he could live in the freedom of his new identity in Christ. He never knew. He never knew that he was loved. Because if he did, he wouldn't have lived a life of pain. He was a wounded warrior who tried to fight and lost the battle to his destructive desires. What about you? Who are you becoming? Don't give me the tone, I'm doing fine. I don't want to hear it. Don't give me the, yeah, but I'm going to graduate college, I'm going to make 60 grand a year, and my life's going to be fine. I don't want to hear it. Don't give me the, I'm going I'm to live in Colorado, I'm going to live my own dream, I'm going to make all this money. You don't believe that will actually satisfy you, do you? Because if you did, you wouldn't be here. But you're here. So what do we do? all company what do we do when we want to change the world what do we do we ask the one who created the world to change us we ask him and we beg him on our knees and we say Jesus change me into the new humanity the humanity that this world desperately needs the humanity that loves as its motive change me Jesus tonight remind me of who I am even when it doesn't feel real you know that it's true right So worship like it's true. Show up like it's true, Christian.
Maybe you're not part of the new humanity yet. In a room this size, there are many of you here that have not yet trusted Jesus with your life. But it's what you desire, isn't it? Believe. Believe in the one who took on humanity, who left heaven to take on humanity, to take on flesh and blood because he wanted you to have access to new humanity. Believe. Believe in the one who on the cross had his humanity exposed. Believe. I want to invite the worship band back up as we close here tonight. If you want to become the type of person that can actually change the world, believe to become. And watch Jesus as he reorientates the desires of your soul for the likeness of God made in righteousness and holiness. This world would change. Let me pray. Father, why do I struggle to believe that? Why do I struggle to believe that I'm actually a part of a new humanity? Why do I struggle? Why do I wake up so many mornings and feel self-loathing and feel questioning and feel hurt? I've been hurt. And so has every person in this room. And Father, here's what I know to be true. Is that every single person in this room, every single person in our city, every single person in our country and every single person in our world will live and die a life without hope, without the gospel of Jesus Christ that could change them into a new humanity. And so, Father, I'm begging you, please, change us into a new humanity. Let us be beacons of light in a dark world. Let us be people who are on mission for you. Change us, Father. Save us, Father. We love you, Jesus, with all of our heart, mind, and soul because we have first been loved by you. In your name I pray, amen.